0: Hi, I'm Giacomo Mancini and welcome to Research 2030, an Elsevier podcast series in which guests from academia and beyond join us in exploring, debating, and challenging the changing research landscape. And welcome to part two in our series of episodes devoted to open science titled, Can the Reward System Learn to Love Open Science? As we discovered in episode one, Open science is driving new, more transparent, and collaborative ways of working and sharing which aim to help everyone access, participate in, and benefit from the scientific endeavor. The movement has been gaining momentum over the past decade, and the COVID-19 crisis has only accelerated its growth, with nations, institutions, and publishers openly sharing data and studies on an unprecedented scale. But change is never all smooth sailing, and the rise of open science brings challenges in its wake. For example, the existing researcher reward system still heavily favors citation metrics with little recognition of researchers' activities beyond the publication of papers. Happily, today we have Stefan Bergmans, Elsevier Vice President of Academic and Research Relations in the EU, on hand to help us navigate this complex topic. As you may recall, in the previous episode, he spoke with Jean-Claude Bergmans part-time professor of open science policy at Vrie University in Brussels, and the European Commission's former open access envoy, who highlighted the pressing need for new open science metrics. In this episode, Stefan is joined by early career researcher Veronique de whose passion for open science was sparked by her volunteer role with Eurodoc, the European Council for Doctoral Candidates and Junior Researchers. She shares her belief that open science could trigger a radical transformation of our research culture.
1: Today, we are here to speak about open science, and we'll be talking with a young researcher who has a very interesting and diverse academic background already. Véronique de Herde first got a Master in Contemporary History from the Université Libre de Bruxelles, so in Brussels in Belgium. She then went on to get another Master, but this time in Bioengineering at the Université Catholique de Louvain. Today. Véronique is a Freya FNRS scholar, as I used to be a long time ago, actually, and she's finishing her PhD at the Earth and Life Institute from the agronomy faculty at the same university. Véronique, welcome and thank you. Could you maybe begin by telling us a little bit about yourself and the role you have had with your doc and looking back at your involvement in discussions on open science Could you also tell us what were the factors that led you to get involved into the topic of open science? When did it all start for you? Were there any particular light bulb moments that helped you decide this was an important topic for you and for early career researchers in general?
2: Thank you, Stefan, and thank you for hosting me on this podcast. Well, I started volunteering at Eurodoc two years ago, uh, and uh, over the last year, I I followed a training that was organized by Eurodoc on open science. And the training encompassed all aspects of open science, from open data to open peer review. Actually, through my engagement with Eurodoc, I became uh, more and more aware of how open science practices had the potential to completely reshape the way research was done, but also how we as researchers communicated not only with our peers, but also with society. And that open science meant reclaiming the place of research in society in a way. So that's what I found particularly interesting about open science and what became then my, my my core motivation for
1: pursuing advocacy on that topic specifically. So that's interesting because you're using the words reshape, reclaiming, and I'm sure we will not settle on the definition of open science today, but could you at least tell us, and for the benefit of the listeners, what open science means to you actually?
2: For me, open science, it's basically a philosophy. It's the idea to move from practices of doing research, doing science that are very closed in a way that you barely communicate about your research workflow towards other researchers and let alone towards society. So it's the philosophy that if you are more open about your whole research workflow towards your peer and towards society, there is potential for not only better practices, but also new pathways of discovery, basically.
1: So new pathways to discovery. And of course, that's for the whole of research. But looking at open science today and based on your own experience as a young researcher, but also from the many interactions with uh, other young researchers, what would you say are the important open science themes for early career researchers specifically? And for the early career researchers, again, what would you say are the drivers and the barriers to open science?
2: Well, typically, as early career researchers, we explore a topic during during our PhD, and we produce an enormous amount of material. We sometimes take the risk of being innovative in terms of methodology, and and it's it's something that you can do during a PhD, for example, and. The end result of that, well, basically in the the present way of, of evaluating and valorizing science, the end result of that is scientific articles. But there is a whole aspect of your research workflow that remains in the shadows. And it's basically a waste of resources that that part of your research as early career researchers is of no use for anyone. So... That's the potential of open science, that, that early career researchers can be valorized for the contribution that they do to science and to scientists, and not only uh, on the base of the results that they produce. I mean, not the results, but the, 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 the communication that is done about, about their work. I think there was a second aspect in your question.
1: On one side, you know, it was talking about the drivers, but also the barriers. Yeah. So I, th- I think that, you know, you're describing here now one of the drivers Uh, do you see some barriers or why early career researchers would not want to go into open science and practice open science?
2: Well basically because, because a lot of aspects of open science, for example open data, is not at all valorized. It's not a requirement and basically early career researchers do not get credit for making the databases they created accessible to others or tagging their databases with accurate metadata so that other researchers could use them. And, of course, that's a barrier because everyone has a limited amount of time. And, of course, everyone dedicates his or her time to, to what matters in terms of evaluation, in terms of being able to apply for other positions and There are many aspects of the workflow that do not apply for this. For example, many early career researchers probably go deep into a topic and that would make sense to communicate towards society about what they have achieved in terms of results. But again, that is not taken into account in the evaluation of the early career researchers. And also when they have to apply for uh, further positions, it's not taken into account. Okay. I think definitely that there is a barrier to adopting open science practices that lies there. Same about we could go over open access as well. There is always this tension between, yeah, I have to publish in certain journals to get a high impact factor because it matters for future applications. But are these journals open access or not? And yeah, when people have to dedicate time to things or energy to things that are not evaluated or valued well then it becomes a matter of yeah it's not strategic for them and and many aspects of open science do not answer to to that that notion that you have to be strategic with with what you are doing
1: so you're talking about strategy yeah. you use the word valorized and of course you use the word evaluation and i think we all agree that doctoral candidates and junior researchers should be duly recognized and respected for the essential role that they play and that you described. So, you know, can you elaborate on how you think early career researchers feel about the way their performance is currently evaluated?
2: Well, I think, first, that many early career researchers aren't even aware that they are in a, a given system. Like, they understand that they have to publish, and they, they put that as their end goal. But that's systemic. I mean, if the system valorized the fact that they produced quality data sets, for example, they would understand that it would matter to put energy in there. But the system doesn't do that. So that's the first thing. The second aspect is that even if you are aware that, so to speak, the system maybe could valorize other things than just publications, it doesn't mean that you are in a position of power as to go against that because you you basically depend upon what everyone requires from you. And you are in no position to challenge that as early career
1: researcher. So that's interesting, because so what you're saying is that early career researchers are either not aware of the system in which they are in, or if they are aware of the system, they have no power over it. So do you think that in that context you just described, do they, like many other stakeholders, expect, or even are they calling for a reform of the reward system in research? Or are they completely unaware of that potential?
2: I think many early career researchers understand and feel. It's, it's more than about understanding. It's really feeling that the system they are in is really competitive and not especially fair in the sense that you can create Extraordinary data sets and go deep into research question and really do science. But because you explore a certain field, that might not coalesce or end up in a super quality article. Doesn't mean that you are a bad scientist. It just means that maybe the topic or the way you approached it made it difficult to really or just this might just not be the fashionable topic of the time. So I think many, many early career researchers understand that the system is harsh on on researchers and they feel that. They they, they know that they are in some sort
1: of competitive mindset. It
2: doesn't mean, on the other hand, that they have the choice to do something else.
1: You know, when I interviewed Jean-Claude Bergman earlier... What he was saying is that he supports change to the reward and incentive system for researchers. And he said that responsibility for affecting that chain lies with the science, scientific community. And if that's the case, and based on what you just said about the role, you know, early careers researchers play, I suppose that those younger researchers might want to drive this change as they will be the ones the most impacted in the future. So. I wondered whether you have any suggestion on how this could happen. If it were you, what would you do to make it happen, this uh, reform of the uh, the reward system?
2: Well, the, the first step is awareness. There is a lack of awareness. And I think I would even tend to say that senior researchers are even less aware of the system they are in than early career researchers. So, so the first step is really raise awareness about, you know, the system is, is as it is. It valorizes excellence in a certain way. That's that's all good. But there is a way to to change the system and keep it as excellent as possible. And, and actually, the, I think open science can achieve that. It would be a more collaborative system. And it doesn't mean per se that a more collaborative environment would be less efficient in terms of, productivity or in terms of excellence. I think it's it's a more general mindset that we think that uh, competition allows people to achieve excellence, but I am not sure we are right about this. I really think that collaboration might bring, because there is more exchange of the resources created in science, might bring more excellence and it would be uh, also a fairer system because then the contribution of everyone would be more recognized. So I think there, is, there are two aspects here. There is a question of awareness, and there is also a question of understanding the deeper philosophical background in which the present system is rooted. The present system is rooted in, 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 in competition, basically.
1: So what elements of researchers' life should then be included in this new reward system, if it's not the articles that they publish?
2: Well, I already spoke about data, but there is also the services that we grant the community. For example, when we review research of others, when we discuss the research of others, and now it's, it's something that researchers do for free, and most of, of that activity is closed. Of course, now there is the open peer review system that is expanding, but the norm remain, remains that it is closed. But for example, if that can be valorized, it also means that researchers will do it with another mindset because then they will consider reviewing the research of others in a spirit of collaboration because what they will bring to that research will be visible. Also the same when researchers go on to communicate to society. At present, it's not valorized at all. And researchers say that the outreach that they did was not seen favorably because it was considered as a waste of time or as militancy or as advocacy and that it was not the place of researchers. If you give a place to that in the evaluation, then it also means that researchers can really Make these activities theirs, and consider that it's part of their role as researcher. So, if you integrate in evaluation the quality of the data sets you create, the quality of the input that you give to others, other researchers, for example through peer review, and the quality of the communication that you give back to society, and we all know how crucial it is now that researchers talk to society, and that it doesn't remain something between ourselves, then yes, you can create a, a research system where researchers would be incentivized for going collaborative instead of competitive. It, it changes the landscape completely. And it's a bit of paradox because now the only thing that is valorized is how we talk to other scientists. Because we know that no one reads our papers except scientists. And it's a bit of paradox. Because we, 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 most of us search on public funds. And it seems that it's not even a factor whether or not what we achieve serves society back. It's, it's like we serve the scientific community, but it shouldn't be a bubble uh, that remains separate from societal issues. But that's more of my personal opinion.
1: It's, but that's interesting what you're saying, because I mean this goes well beyond open science in a sense you know what you're talking is a change of the research culture actually
2: indeed, I think I referred to this earlier in in the interview that I think that the the basic philosophy behind open science was really that people felt and so that the the way research was conducted was in a way detrimental to, I could even say, the the efficiency of research because everyone searches in his or her little corner and then go on to publish as much as possible and as fast as possible to beat the neighbor, and then that's it. Mission accomplished. Okay, that's, that's cool, but does it bring any good to anyone? I'm not so sure about that. So yes, indeed, I think open science has the potential to Change the research culture completely. But I, I know that it's it's controversial at the same time because if you take some practices of open science isolated, like open access, for example, you can implement open access in the system as it is and not change anything else in the way researchers share or communicate about their data. So isolated elements of open science can be implemented in a non-changing system. But I think if you if you look at the global picture and at the whole open science practices, then indeed these practices can support a, a, a completely change of research culture.
1: And so, sorry, but, you know, we've talked about the sociology of science here and even philosophically about those changes. Can I try to go back through to something more practical and I was wondering if you have views on whether this will all require extra work from researchers. Because if it does, where is the incentive for researchers to comply? And how does it add to the pressures they are already experiencing and that you were describing? Of
2: course, if you have to produce databases that you you can communicate or outreach material that you create on the base of your research. It means more work than just writing scientific articles. That's true. But if these aspects enter in your evaluation process, then it's a a natural incentive that you receive. And there is also an aspect of, I would say, even uh, well-being, that if you have to you can dedicate a little bit of less time to publishing and and we all know that there is this trend of i mean the, i i don't know the, the exact figures but i think the the number of publications increases every year and it's completely crazy because there are more and more articles published and and people even question whether you can follow i think in your own field about everything that is published if you dedicate a little bit less time to that and on the other hand dedicate a little bit more time to creating your database in a way that's making your data fair like we say a findable accessible interoperable and reusable then it also means that that your daily life as a researcher might be richer because it creates a broader diversity of activities and and maybe that you can also as a person feel rewarded if you if you dedicate some time to create outreach material and then that you realize that it really helped and then you might think further you might also think if if you create a culture where you have these different scientific activities so not only publishing but all the rest and that naturally some people might be better at some parts of these activities. Well, if you are in a collaborative mindset, it's all right. Because the researchers who are brilliant at exploring and creating databases and data sets and analyzing these data sets, well, they can be brilliant at, at that. And you can imagine that uh, some others are brilliant at creating a super outreach material, well, then it's fine because we are in a collaborative environment and everyone can find a place that makes them valorized for what they do best.
1: Let's take this and let's bring it to a broader global context because if you imagine that you work at a university that is indeed changing its reward and incentive system like you're describing Do you think that this could actually have an impact on your career opportunities? You've been saying now that, you know, it's a collaborative environment. But for example, will you still easily be able to go to another university in another country in Europe or outside of Europe where the system is not being changed? Or do you think it might affect the possibility for some to move to uh, the private sector, for example?
2: Mm -hmm. I don't think that a collaborative environment will make us less productive. You might as well even produce more because you are involved in more team projects. It means that your name ends up in more projects. The fear that our resumes would be less good, I think it's, it's, not, it's not grounded. But then there is the question of what you can actually do and what are your skills. And, and then I could imagine that some could say, yeah, but then uh, I might lack skills in another, in another system. But I, even that, I'm not sure, because if you are in a, a more open system, you you will actually learn a more diverse set of skills. So I'm really not sure that uh, the fear that the transition would make us less competitive as individuals is grounded. I don't know if I am right or wrong, but I, I think that. It's, it's often a fear that is put forward, telling people, yeah, but if we change the system, you won't be able to sell yourselves to, to, to ultra-competitive systems where uh, people publish, I don't know how many papers here. Okay, but if, if you think about a collaborative environment, potentially you could end up with more papers with a more balanced effort. Maybe I'm I'm a utopian or naive, I don't know, but that's how I see it. I, I really don't think it will make us less competitive if we see that from that
1: angle. Well, many are like you in Europe, and that's how I'd like to conclude. I want to, to ask your view on, on Jean-Claude's other statement, that if Europe was bold enough to introduce a new research reward system, it's likely that other countries would soon follow. So my question to you is, can Europe lead this change? And how do you think it is progressing on open science and the reward system compared to other parts of the world right now?
2: Well, Europe can lead this change like any country or set of countries could lead the change. I think leading the change starts with understanding that the system in which you are is efficient in a way, but has also flows and that these flows bring inefficiency, also in terms of well-being. I think Europe has definitely uh, a strategy in terms of open data. For example, the EOSC project is clearly something they are trying to implement. That's certainly a good thing. I would say in terms of Open access, for example, there is a lot being done, but not enough reflected upon the publishing system as a whole. And I think Europe on that aspect could learn a lot about initiatives, uh, for example, in in South America, where there is a whole publishing landscape that is completely different from Europe, that is publicly driven. And Europe certainly has a lot to learn from what happens elsewhere. But I think also that there is an issue in Europe that is, I think many people are generally adverse, and that's cultural, to collective bottom-up finance initiatives. And, and that's, I think, more philosophical, like that, that initiatives had to be individual and private. That's a bit how Europe built itself philosophically, at least over the last 30 years. And so the idea that we have to think collectively about what do we want as, as a system, that is something that has not entirely percolated yet. I think in the minds of the scientists and, and I would, I would even say, <laughs> if I dare, uh, the, the general population, it's really something that, that is needed now. We cannot let other people decide for us or take the initiative for us. And and, and there there I talk about the scientific community. It's like, it's easy, but then you can't complain that you have something that is not entirely what you wished for. So there is a discrepancy there in terms of mentality, I think. And for me, that's the main obstacle to really be able to take the lead on that.
1: Wow. What a way to conclude. I mean, do we want collectively to make a choice about the system we want, or do we want to leave that to others? Unfortunately, we we have to stop already, but thank you so much for your time and uh, all your insight. Much appreciated. Thank you.
0: It's clear that for Veronique, many of the points raised by our previous guest, Jean-Claude Brueggemann, ring true. It's time to broaden the system we use to measure researcher success, and embrace open science metrics. Only then will researchers be incentivized to pursue a more open route. However, for Veronique, there is another step required first, and that's an awareness building exercise. We need to encourage researchers to realize that they are operating in a competition-based system. Only then can we help them feel empowered to change it for one that is more collaborative, effective, and ultimately fair a new system that celebrates diversity of skills and promotes a sense of well-being among researchers. And if you didn't catch Stefan's interview with Jean-Claude, it's available now. And please don't forget to subscribe to Research 2030 so you are notified when future episodes are released. Are you interested in learning more about how open science might develop in the coming 10 years? It was a key theme in Elsevier's 2019 study, Research Futures, Drivers and Scenarios for the Next Decade. In fact, One of those scenarios, Brave Open World, anticipated the current pandemic. You can download the report from the link available in our show notes. And finally, our thanks to Veronique DeHerd for joining us here on Research 2030, and to Stefan Bergmans for guest hosting this episode. I'm Giacomo Mancini. As always, thank you for listening. Research 2030 is an official Elsevier podcast.